Hi, and welcome to this VFX show. I'm Mike Seymour, and we're about to be raised by wolves. And I'm joined by Jason Diamond. How are you, Jason? Uh, lovely. Uh, Smoke-free on the East Coast, luckily, but thinking of our friends on the West Coast. And Matt Wallen, how are you? Where are you at, Matt? You are smoke-free? Well, I'm here in Richmond, and it's just starting to feel like fall, which is really exciting. But I will say the last two days we've had very high altitude haze that they tell us is from the smoke, uh, which uh, is certainly not that bad. It hasn't affected our air quality. But yeah, seeing uh, what's been happening to my my home state, my native California, uh, is really, really upsetting. And uh, all the pictures people have been sending, it does look like... Um, uh, Roger Deakins, um, Blade Runner cinematography. Yeah. Which, by the way, was modeled on his experience of seeing Sydney like that. Oh, really? Oh, During crazy. The, during yeah, the big... they, they saw Sydney like that and wrote it into the script. Oh, wow. wow. I did not know that. Um, but that's a good segue, actually, because the uh, film you're talking about was directed by the one of the producers, though not the showrunner of the show we're talking about this week, which is Raised by Wolves. Um, and so I would hazard a guess that this is going to be as convoluted a conversation, Matt, as we had about what was happening <laughs> in, I think, Westworld Series 1. Like, yeah. And the reason I say that, dear listener, is we're recording this having – I've certainly only watched the first five eps. The sixth ep is kind of dropping as we speak, but I haven't had a chance to see it because of my time zone. So by the time you listen to this, I'm sure the sixth ep will be out. Um, but I presume it hasn't – has it aired in the U.S.? I think no, it airs tomorrow. tomorrow here. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So if if our theories and uh, oh, also is it going to be just dropping one ep or two this week? Yeah, I don't know. Time? It was it was interesting. They dropped two episodes uh, last week. They did the first three and then two last week, which I thought was kind of a surprise. I don't know how many episodes are in ten. the series. Ten total. Ten. Yeah. Okay. So we're halfway yeah, so through. We'll so see, it's just perfect time actually to do a show because we're like right in the middle middle of act two i guess yeah. of the larger yeah. arc which means we get to embarrass ourselves with <laughs> theories or or cover ourselves in glory yes. as we uh as we unpick the uh thing so they're going to discuss the show we're going to discuss the, of course the visual effects which are by uh, mr x and i think they've done a terrific job on that mm -hmm. but as we like to we're going to start off with uh with the now i i should confess when we were discussing the show, this was not on my radar. So I should probably handball this to Matt. So Matt, you suggested this. Yeah. And I'm glad you did. Uh, why? And was it just based on that Ridley involvement or? Well, I, you know, I actually had not, I didn't know anything about it either. I didn't know this was something that was being made. I didn't know it was something that was in the works. But I will say that... Um, uh, I've been teaching some a cinema class to students, and I, I get asked a lot of times by students, like, you know, who's well, what's your favorite movie? You know, like it's one of the funny you know, first uh, day of class types of questions, and I always say, I don't, I don't know if I have a favorite movie. I like, I like so many different kinds of movies from different eras, and um, but I do feel like you know the filmmaker I come back to over and over again, who whose work I watch, whose work I rewatch. And while I don't love everything he's made, I certainly admire uh, uh, Sir Ridley Scott's uh, work, as do many people. Um, I think he's one of the most interesting and certainly one of the most visual filmmakers. And so I saw that uh, a clip for this um, somewhere online, I think, 
after it had already premiered the first three episodes on, at least here in the United States, on a service there calling HBO Max for right now. Um, lots of crazy branding of all these uh, conglomerates. But um, And I did not know what to expect. Uh, I did not know what this show was going to be. Uh, I just knew it was Ridley Scott and it was science uh, science fiction uh, story. And um, I watched the first episode, uh, which was a little under an hour, I think, or right about an hour in length. And um, it was one of the like most bizarre, like f funny, kind of horrifying, <laughs> like absurd uh, science fiction things that I've seen in a long time. And it, it was filled with all kinds of effects. And um, I just thought it was it was so great. And I, I kind of got really hooked on it. And I've uh, just been uh, telling everybody that I see uh, that you've got to check this out. You've got to watch it. It is so weird. If for no other reason than I want to know, am I crazy for liking it so much? <laughs> so, so just before we go on, I, I want to point out, I wanted to do Tenet, uh, the Christopher Nolan film, for mm -hmm. exactly the same reasons that you wanted to do this, which is my go-to director at the moment is Christopher Nolan, and I've seen Tenet a couple of times, and I totally wanted to, to, to discuss it with you guys. But yeah. given the current uh, COVID situation, you guys can't see that film yet, can you? No, unfortunately, no. it's it's uh, it's really difficult to get to a theater, and uh, it's if there are theaters where there's movies showing, I will say that it's listed at least here in the United States as one of the highest risk activities you can engage in. <laughs> so yeah. It, here in Sydney, we don't have uh, quite the same. Well, we just don't have anywhere near the level that you have in the US at the moment. Yeah. Uh, and, and so it's actually, I mean, it's safe in the sense that it's as safe as any of the other activities one would do. Um, I saw it twice in 70 millimeter, but I can't discuss it because uh, you guys haven't seen it. So just, just listen and know that the second that the guys, uh, our hosts can uh, see Tenant, I'm all in on uh, Christopher Nolan for exactly the same reasons, as I say, that you are interested in, in this. and. Um, Jason, so, so was this on your radar? Was this a, something? It wasn't. I mean, I had seen a friend of mine was, had posted something about, um, something Eric Messerschmidt was shooting, um, who, if anyone doesn't know who that is, um, was, uh, a gaffer for a long time for Fincher who took over for Chris Probst in the middle of Mindhunter season one as the DP and then shot season two and has been, you know, moving on shooting a bunch of stuff. And I like his stuff. And I was like, oh, what's he shooting? This looks cool. And um, then when Matt suggested it, I started like picking up and I was like, oh, it's Ridley Scott. And I was like, oh, maybe he produced it. Oh, he directed it. Well, this is cool. You know, and so on. Uh, I didn't realize that Wolski shot, Darius Wolski shot the first two at least, I think. Um, but, you know, the, the, I didn't know anything about it. Nothing, zero. Just Matt like posting a picture. We'll just say spoiler alert now. If you didn't already have, if you haven't seen five a series, probably shouldn't listen to the show yet. But go blast them out, watch them, and then come back. But uh, he's texted us a picture of the necromancer and said necromancer, and I was like, I need to know what this is about. So, uh, so yeah, I just watched it cold. I had nothing. I didn't even watch a trailer. Zero. Um, and I, I loved it. It's interesting. Yeah. Just while you're on that po point, uh, Ross Emery, uh, cinematographer on this and Ross is an Australian, mm. who, um, 
and Ross does brilliant work and I've met Ross a number of times and yeah, I, if you told me that Ross was on this, I wouldn't have even needed to hear yeah. Ridley to want to watch it. Right. Um, just really, really good cinematographer. So, so that's good. But okay, so do we know what this is about? I mean, assuming everyone's I mean, got the spoiler alert, like what is this show about? I mean, I my my take my take. You know, can, can I'll just finish my sort of diatribe about what I like about it? But my take is it. I, I, I'm it's. It's in essence the in, in my brain currently. It seems to me to feel like a retelling of the creation myth, uh, similar to the ending of the film Knowing, the Nick Cage movie. Which, while the movie was okay, the ending was was spot on. And uh, if you haven't seen it, go watch it and then come back. But I know you guys have seen it, you know, and it ends with act, the actual aliens picking up two kids and putting them on another planet, basically in the Garden of Eden type scenario, giving both the creationist and the science side of, you know, uh, creation. And in this case, it feels sort of similar. I mean, and maybe that's because you have the the um, Mithraic people which is interesting that they choose mithras because it's like a very obscure roman religion that people don't know that mm -hmm. much about so it's like and, uh, there's obviously a lot of real um a lot of real other you know more modern religious things like communion and things that they add in there and their their outfits are very templar like yeah. you know hospitaler the red and the red and the white and the sun but they had salt. I think the reference that you're looking for there is Monty Scrooge. Python and the Holy yes, Grail. Yes, exactly. Well, that's the guy <laughs> later, Otho with the spiked helmet. Yeah. But, uh, yeah. but you know, but they also um, lean into the, um, what's it called? The, uh, um, you know, Saul is their god. And uh, the cult of Saul Invictus was a very big cult in Roman, uh, in the Roman times as well. And actually in the pictures of Jesus where he's got the big kind of like, it looks like a plate behind his head. That's, you know, that's actually like taken from since Christianity is sort of an, an amalgamation of, of other pagan religions to, you know, suck in the locals into the, the new big uh, cool religion is, you know, that was taken from, from Saul, Saul Invictus. <laughs> hang on, hang on, hang on. Wait, just, yeah. Okay. I, but just, I, I, I wanna... I, I'm, I'm saying in, in the Roman times, you know, they, they had to bring people into the fold there and they, okay. they grab things from other Don't offend all Christians that are listening. Well, no, I'm but saying, but going. I mean, it's a, it's a known thing that just, you know, in order sure, in to, in terms of imagery, I know what you're imagery, saying. Imagery. Yes. In, in terms to entice other people to kind of <laughs> join the fold, they, they use some of their iconography, uh, yep. not, not maybe beliefs, but you know, iconography. So anyway, that's just my, my uh theological sort of trip on that stuff but i dig that they go that detailed into that stuff and that earth's sort of downfall is is the war between atheists and and essentially mm -hmm. religious people regardless of their beliefs they're super religious and atheists and they're basically fighting and they destroy the planet um so is that your take matt or is this like the embodiment of the current uh we believe in science. We don't. Uh, American culture of uh, distrusting. Uh, I guess knowledge. I think. I, it's, I mean, it's a great. I think that Jason has a great uh, 
analysis there. And I think you're asking a great question. I think one of the things about this show, the way that it's written and executed, is that I do think it's it's like, um, uh, in my opinion, it's 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 on a level of of really deep, like great uh, science fiction traditions. Um, it's utilizing um, a lot of historical and cultural references. Um, as Jason's mentioning, things like you know the Crusades, but also it's touching on a lot of contemporary anxieties at the same time, um, coupling it also with uh, technology, sort of the cultural bifurcation of like you know political structures, at least here in this country. I think probably in other parts of the world to some extent as well. And then they're also doing some really fun things that I think are just hilarious but also so much fun. There's like this uh, kind of Android commentary yeah. <laughs> uh, and sci-fi commentary on like contemporary um, gender roles with regards to uh, parenthood um, and the concept of mother and father and some of and the And an interracial between... couple even. Oh, that too. And, yeah. and dad jokes. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Dad jokes. And like, I mean, there's just, it's, I feel like there's so many interesting levels that it functions on. And there's even like some interesting subversion of, um, you know, the, the, the sort of religious sect in that the, the eventual sort of leader of the group is an imposter. <laughs> um, yeah. there's just so, and then, and then the sort of, the subterfuge as well of the of a hacker who winds up being uh, able to capture and reprogram uh, a, basically a, a human extermination machine in the form of Mother or the uh, necromancer. Yeah, and then I think the and then the imagery um, for the most part there's there's one or two uh, design things that I actually don't like that much, which is. Um, something we can get into too, but, and I think they actually, in one particular case, it affects the visual effects to a certain degree, but um, I, I just think it's, it's amazing. It's so much fun and so bizarre. And I think tonally yeah. the, the horror component of uh, in the first episode, the attack, the necromancer commits um, aboard the, the ark, I think it is right. Um her attack oh, yeah. is so is so sort of grotesquely horrifying. Is that the first episode and, or the second episode? Uh, I can't well, remember. I anyway, know. it's either the first or second. Yeah, one. but it's but it's so uh, amazing when it happens because it it's such a tonal shift in the way the show has felt. It almost feels yeah. kind of silly and corny when it starts. Where I was just like, oh my god, like this is really stupid. But then it sucks you in by shifting gears in some really interesting ways and it kept going deeper um, into all these sort of other kind of metaphorical territories. Um, so it just, it's, it's something that's been really fun because it feels, it feels rich. It, they've created a rich world with um, a lot of possibilities. Um, it well, feels and on like the a, planet, sorry, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, it feels like a show that has like, you know, the depth of a, a season one and two of Westworld or a, um, uh, even almost like a of Game of Thrones potential depth, although not quite mm -hmm. as many uh, characters and worlds, but it feels like it's that quality of programming. Well, also just to take on the thread of what you were saying about, you know, you have high tech, you know, 
the highest of the tech, you know, bioweapon androids who are farming. You know what I mean? Right. Like, <laughs> so the dichotomies of all the of all the ideologies are are you know, they're living in like a medieval huts basically, right? Yeah, and there is and, this real medieval and kind of old world quality to the structure of the narrative at least on yeah. Kepler 22B or whatever, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, yeah, there, there's a huge amount so just to add to your point uh, earlier, Jason, there's a huge amount of like religious references <clears throat> that, that are just straight Christian references. Like Paul is obviously yeah. a very strong mm -hmm. Christian name, but but Sue, the mother, his real name is Mary yep. and she can't have children. Hello. Yep. Um, mm -hmm. And then there's the ark, there are serpents, there's mm -hmm. forbidden fruit. Like, you know, it's just you. Yeah, so right. are they just throwing everything they possibly have at the script or is it going to make sense at some point? Well, well, I that'll mean, that'll be the trick, I think. Can yeah. they pull it off? Can they bring it, tie it together in some way where it feels like it really does um, satisfy on that level? I mean, I think that's the that's the big ask, and I but, but, I I'm, I hope so. <laughs> I mean, I think I think the I mean, there'll still clearly be a season one cliffhanger, obviously, but you know the um, I think to your point, Mike, is that, and I think you know, uh, referencing what I was saying earlier is they're basically, it seems to me is that this is the, you know, nobody knows what happened before the big bang. If you want to use that as a, as a thing, but it's like what happened before quote creation, or if you want to follow that line, like something happened, it didn't just start from zero. If, if you want to follow the logic, you know, certain logics. So this would be the forgotten, you know, this would be the forgotten sort of technological zero point where they start again. You know what I mean? And then, and well, and those, the, you know, those people would be the quote Adam and Eve types and, you know, 10,000 years in the future or whatever it is, you'd say, oh, we all came from Kepler 22B. You know, they wouldn't even remember Earth or whatever. So let me throw a couple of uh, not cliffhangers, but questions that were at this point in the show, we have these huge questions that are out there. Um, let's see if we can rapid fire through these so we can get to the visual effects, yeah. but I'd love to get your opinion and we'll see how right we are by the end of the show, whether they answer them or whether um, your your predictions are right. So the first one, and moving away from the points we've already discussed, I'll try and stay on sort of fresh points. So for a start, like this um, pentagonal prophecy, whatever it was, that, that an orphan mm -hmm. boy in an empty land will lead. Okay, so who is the orphan boy in the empty land that will lead us to the city of peace? Obviously, you're kind of thinking that it's champion, but then it could be Paul, is, or it could be the baby that's unborn. Any any bids? I mean, they're Seems pushing pretty Paul. heavily on Paul currently, yeah. but that could be a and, misnomer, you know, just, but I mean, he did bring it up in there like, 13 year travel void, you know, hangout, you City know, of holodeck, peace, yeah. yeah, thing. Mm -hmm. And, uh, okay, so the uh, polyhedron that they discover, mm. is that, and that has heat and stuff, is that all related to the giant snakes slash holes? Or is, like, what is that? It's, it's obviously not, it's obviously kind of man-made. Where does that fit in? It, but I mean, it I think it's got to, it seems like it's got to well, be connected to the. It's got to be connected to the hallucinations uh, that uh, both the humans and the androids are having, right? Yeah. But of it could seeing, be uh, seeing Tali or something. The 
Yeah. So the hallucinations brings me to my next point. Is mother being hacked? And if she's being hacked, hacked by who? And, and the reason I say she's being hacked is that whoever's hacking her said, wake up, one of the children yeah. needs you mm -hmm. and yeah. sent her a message. And also, how did she suddenly unlock these memories that were locked to her? It's like somebody's unlocked them. Right. So is she being hacked and by whom? I mean, I would imagine it. it's the... It's the the person the we see who reprogrammed her. Well, it's the person we see. Person, I'm using that lightly because we can't see their face. The one who grabbed the the one who lives in the snake that we that grabbed uh, the fast moving kind of sort of yeah, um, like human jumping around yeah, humanoidy kind of person. Because they're called the host, right? Yeah, the host or something that has that took the you know where she placed the trackers that she took out of all their kids' feet and then. Yep. That that creature grabbed them and put them somewhere else. That that person is obviously playing a role in something because you wouldn't I mean it would seem odd to make them that person be the one to really draw the people uh away from the um from or actually that person draws them closer to the to the uh their um village scenario. Is, is that is that host an android or a person? Probably isn't a person the way they're moving, right? Yeah, I, I read something online that, that somebody surmised it was the an android version of the original Campion, who is the guy <laughs> that hacked Mother and sent her out. And is that hacking why we're seeing Tally, the ghost child that should be dead that fell down the hole? Well, did they fall down the hole? Paul saw we... Tally too, so that's, you know, yeah. it's not just the android. So is it Tally or is it a... Yeah, I don't know. Is it a... Because Tally shouldn't be there, right? She well, should she be dead. she fell in the hole, yeah. Or she should have been older. Right. Well, certainly yeah, she's well, we don't know she fell in the, the hole. hole. We assume she fell in the hole. Right. Okay. And and uh, and also the cards, right? Like the right. cards the host had mm -hmm. were, had like uh, sperm and parents and all sorts yeah. of like human-y things mm -hmm. on them. And so, some geometry on one of them, yeah. Yeah. And then, and then, and then my, my big question is, who is it that's the guy who's the prisoner under the metal yeah. hood? Ortho. Like, yeah. Who but is, is that, Ortho? Is, but is he somebody that we've actually already seen previously? Like, there's some interesting um, conflict that could occur, I was thinking, if it turned out to be... Is there any way that it could be the hacker that created? Well, her? he's the one who who raped the um, tempest. Yeah. Well, I know, but so that's I why I, that's why I think it would be so weird if it was on some level if there was some connection back to him. I don't to know. who sorry to the guy who created the champion. Oh, but I think mother. he was an atheist, and he he's pretty established as an atheist, and also he was pretty sick, right? Like he was coughing and having to use the mask and stuff. Yeah, so. yeah, the guy. Yeah, the, the campion is, you know, for all intents and purposes, has been at least alluded to having done what he did because he knows that Earth is doomed and he's doomed, so he has the ability to do whatever it is he does. Uh, but it's, a, a it's the one... It's the one... A rapist. Yeah, well, it's the one reveal they have still, like, yeah. at what, uh, <laughs> in terms of a, a human character, we think a human, mm -hmm. at least, like, who's, on, who's under that thing? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, who 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 it is is a huge uh, question mark. And then, do we think this whole tropical zone thing is going to play 
because it was this, we can't see in it because it's electromagnetic, but there's this big tropical zone. And then she later says, oh, I'll go to the tropical zone with everybody when we're well. Is that the promised land? Is that, or is this just a red herring? Yeah, I don't know. No, no, no clues yet. I don't know. I mean, there's not enough. In, there's not. They're they're mostly all of them are unreliable narrators. Like ev almost every character, <laughs> to a certain extent. Yeah, yeah. depending yeah, on the scene. True. You know what I mean? Yeah, it's uh, it's super weird. Like, um, and yet, I I, I can't. I've got to say, I really felt, and I didn't. I mean, this disappointed in the way that they should have made me feel disappointed. I wasn't disappointed in the show, but I was mm -hmm. so disappointed that you finally get to another planet, and everyone just brings their quarrels from the previous yeah. planet <laughs> and starts killing everybody and and creating yeah. devastation and yeah. polluting the planet. Yeah. And it's like really, humans that bad? Yeah. Well, and the and the necromancer when she turns into the killing machine, like basically floats around like Jesus. You know what I mean, like even she, even, very, she even has her feet overlapped in the same way. You yeah, know what I mean? yeah, the crucifixion yeah. pose. Yeah, so it's and like, these, and then my last question is: Are these people that are these things that are being eaten? The one that was pregnant, mm -hmm. are they some degenerative human DNA descendant, or are they just some different creature, or are they the animals of something that is, or someone else, or, or are yeah, they, are they versions of the snakes things, or you know? Like what killed the snakes? Are the snakes dinosaurs or are the, were the snakes killed off by something? Right. Well, it's interesting too, like from a design standpoint, I think that those creatures that they wind up uh, eating that taste like pork. Yeah. <laughs> um, uh, they also kind of, it continues that kind of medieval kind of um, thematic uh, sort of design aesthetic that we see throughout in terms of the costuming as well as i think the necromancer has that kind of vibe to her to some Metropolis, degree and then those yeah. creatures look very like gargoyle-esque almost mm -hmm. you know, they look like some sort of architectural Gothic, yeah um yeah so i don't I know i also couldn't help but thinking that they went for pork instead of chicken because if you were jewish of the jewish faith you wouldn't want to eat pork and uh get me from the promised land and mm -hmm. like, it just seemed to be like I'm not 100% convinced yet. I mean, I'm enjoying the show. But I'm not 100% convinced. They're just not, any, with any opportunity, just throwing a religious reference in just to see how many they can stuff into an app. Um, I mean, you yeah. know, so let, they better pay them off. Well, <laughs> we do know that Damon Lindelof is not involved with this show. So we can only hope that the end come gets wrapped up you know, oh, well. come on, though. Like the Watchmen, like he, he redeemed I know, I haven't watched that. Yeah, the Watchmen. I just, I, I just, oh, okay. and so the, I always just so go to the Lost, big, but yes, I, I need the to The big question that. I have is, are we reliving Battlestar Galactica, the Cylons making the people, making the mm. things that kill the Cylons, that make the Cylons that, like, are we... I mean, it's possible. Am I the only one that... It feels very Battlestar Galactica, kind of, we don't know who's a Cylon and who's not, except for we're talking androids and... Right. Well, it's it's it comes back again though. Like I think Jason was saying, it's a creation myth. It's Prometheus. It's which is also Frankenstein. Which is, yep. but it's kind of an inversion of that. Origins and, of humanity. Yeah, and like I, I mean, it's it's and Battlestar Galactica is the same in that regard. Like um, I always say, when you say Battlestar Galactica, you have to you have to say Battle Battlestar Galactica because it <laughs> sounds so nerdy. But um. But yeah, I think it's it's one of the, it's one of those things where I think it's um yeah it's just it's rich uh, territory certainly mm -hmm. for science fiction but it, just in literature in general. Can I ask you one thing? And I think I'm right in saying this, but when they landed on the planet, 
there were already crops growing in a circle or crop circles were already there. And yeah. 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 They were, weren't they? Because they were and already some, in like... And that settlement was already there to some degree, wasn't it? Some degree, right, yeah. So there was a settlement and there were some crops, though whether the people died off because of the radiation, I don't know. But at first I thought, or we had a, I had a theory that the reason that they were in that shape, the crops, was that it was the nutrients from the dead snake. You know what I mean? Like oh, the, interesting. Because yeah. they coiled up and died. But I don't yeah. think that's right. I think it's, I think it's more farmed that way. Yeah. But, yeah. Um, interesting. Do you think we're going to see some big, big ass June snakes, or are they out? Are they? Are I mean, they I'm, I'm assuming they live in the hole. Yeah. But, yeah. 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 But I mean, heat in the hole. I mean, you know, I yeah, you know, it's hard to say. But I, to your point, you know, it's like in Star Wars when you see the crate dragon skeleton in the desert. You know, what I mean, it's like it was there at some point. You never see one. But clearly, right. it was big, you know. So, same thing. But yeah, it's case. so it's so cryptic. Like, and then the big dodecahedron you mentioned earlier, yeah. whatever that thing is. Like, yeah. Well, it, but know. it has five How pointed sides, right? The polyhedron, you know, it has five yes, pointed exactly. sides. So they're talking about the, the you know, five pointed prophecy and whatever. So, I mean, yeah. it's yeah. I mean, it's who knows. <laughs> Does, uh, yeah. <laughs> okay, so now we've established that we don't know what's going yeah. on. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> let's discuss the visual effects. Yes. So, uh, so I guess let's go around us to our favorite visual effects. I'm going to start with you, Matt, because uh, I think you alluded to both a favorite and uh, one that you didn't like uh, that was based on the production design. But I will say that, like, the general level of visual effects you get these days in a sort of A-grade television so show good. are just so cinematic oh, that... yeah. I want to sort of start by that, by, you know, like this is, this is, I'm sure going to be a discussion based on picking at quality work rather than being, you know, aghast at, at uh, sort of. I actually don't, I have no complaints about any of the visual effects. I only have a bone to pick in particular with really one, maybe two design decisions. But I think my favorite, my favorite recurring visual effect that is sort of the hero one and it's really fairly simple. And part of it's just, I, I just, the imagery is so disturbing to me is, is the necromancer flying mm-hmm. in that uh, position where she's kind of this bronzed matte gold and it's beautiful, but also like horrifying at the same time. And there's something about that as a, a decision to make that a weapon that can destroy uh so it's not a it's not an execution problem. It's a it's a sort of designed. Oh no, I uh, I, I actually I like it. I think it's really cool. I'm saying that's one of the things I really like. I'm not talking about anything I don't like. Um, I'm just saying it's kind of a simple effect. It's not. Um, it doesn't look extraordinarily complex. Even the the sort of morph transition from uh, the digital character to the the actor. I feel like it, that transition is is done well and it doesn't also yeah. seem to be groundbreakingly new or anything, but I think it's well executed. And then probably the other thing that I notice most that I think is actually, again, really, really well done um, from the very opening of the first episode where they're landing on the planet for the first time in their sort of suppository spacecraft <laughs> um, is the, uh, the land, the environments, the landscapes. Yeah. Um, it's straight out of, 
the kind of work that they did um, in uh, on in Hecla on the volcanic uh, plain or whatever in Iceland for Prometheus. Um, it has that same kind of high quality environmental work where yeah, um, this is South Africa. Really, they shot right. Is it? Yeah, yeah. I don't. I don't know. It's yeah, just shot it's, in South it's Africa. gorgeous. Yeah. The the digital environments, I think, um, and environment extensions work is just so good. It looks so awesome. That's probably my favorite stuff. That and the the necromancer. I picked two. Sorry, I was only supposed to pick one. No, no, you're right, Jason. Um, I like. I'll agree with Matt. So I don't have to choose those because I agree with a hundred percent what he's saying. Um, I really like the HUD work, like in the ship. You know, when they're like analyzing mm, the, yeah. the I forget what they're called, the potatoes. You know, the Ridley Scott <laughs> poop potatoes on Kepler twenty two B. But you know, like that stuff's really hard to kind of make fresh. And while it's not specifically fresh, just the volumetric feeling of it, the point cloudy kind of vibe on it, similar to what we talked about in um, devs, you know, like it's, it's an, it's an, it's an of the moment kind of vibe, at least for, you know, like people in visual effects or whatever, understand, you know, what point clouds are now and they sort of become the thing. You know what I mean? Like, oh, well, let's make a point clouds are cool. Let's, you know, let's use that. I'm not saying that's what they did, but you know, maybe subconsciously it just looks really cool. Um, uh, and even when they're in their hibernation and they're going into their dream and they sort of break up into these, you know, pieces and you push through it. Um, I, you know, uh, I'll just link it to the other things that I really like were like the, um, I like the ship, the arc and the, uh, really? I mean, I like the, I like it. That's but the one thing I hate from I, a design standpoint. <laughs> I would say, I would say my only thing was when it was in the atmosphere, maybe, you know, when it came in and crashed, it was so light. Like, I mean, I guess they're supposed to be, it's so, it, like scale is hard to tell because it crashes into the mountain really far away. And it's like the yeah. Vegas, it's like the Vegas problem, you know, when you see a hotel and you're like, mm -hmm. oh, we can just walk there. And you're like, we've been walking for an hour and it's no closer, yeah. right? Like <laughs> scale is up, yeah. the scale is just totally off because you just you're not. You didn't used think to that the scale. design, the design, it, it looks like a like a a brawn or like a ship. Yeah, I was gonna like say it's like a shaver. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It just it it for something that big and uh it's so smooth. And I actually think that. It's it's an interesting but don't choice, you think but it's I just think like it, the hardest. It's the hardest job right now to come up with an original spacecraft look. You know, yeah, I mean, I mean, how many times is there? Looks like how many times have we seen measure spaghetti or something? <laughs> <laughs> oh, it looks like an egg slicer. You know, when you push it down and it cuts the egg into totally. like a bunch of pieces. Um, yeah. Anyway, uh, but but I mean, I mean, how many times? It's similar to the monster problem. Like, how many times can we have a monster with you know? predator style four claws on the outside that opens like a big fan kind of thing and it screams and wind comes out you know yeah it's sort of the same thing i like that it was different it matched sort of the design language of the lander um you know which i like the landers i thought that those were yeah. actually there's just weird enough that like yeah they don't look like spaceships but they're just so strange like yeah i don't know but I'll say what I didn't what I didn't like, and it was only one thing, was in the and I think it's it's 
used a little bit in the transitions to the from when they're in their hibernation dreams when uh uh caleb and and uh or whatever their i forget their fake names uh the hero or our imposter couple um we see it there but it's most pronounced when we see mother's um visions or or memories is the i'll just use the the brand name even though i don't know how they did it specifically but the trap code glow kind of you know hmm. uh um you know god ray kind the, of like highlight the, the, I, stretch. exactly what i was going to say that, that is like word for word what i was going to go for like ugh, like come on like there's god like <laughs> that just feels like 10 years ago yeah. somebody's using a plug-in yeah you know I mean? Yeah, I was just like, really? Yeah. Like, we have to do like a, a highlighted edges extrusion kind of like light glow. Like, come on, everything else is like so good and so close yeah. that it was just, it's an odd, it's almost like they were in editorial and someone was like, yeah. shit, we need to transition between here. And the editor was like, oh, I could do this. And they're like, oh, that, <laughs> no, that's that my good. cousin. My cousin can do that yeah. on his After Effects. <laughs> you don't need to pay anyone to do that. Yeah. Yeah, no, we'll, we'll just do it here. It looks oh, really good. Yeah. So hot. It was so brutal. I love how I know, brutal that it's is. It's harsh. It's harsh. But, <laughs> but it's like, you, like, you guys are way mean. Like, You're so I was much just meaner. Like, it's like you're listening to a Led Zeppelin record in the end. Like, all of a sudden, like, there's like a solo that's really out of tune. And you're like, did yeah, well, the, no, the it's the it's the uh, tambourine solo. Yeah. yeah. Oh, yeah. Uh, yeah. They Somebody just stepped in with like a really weird tambourine solo. And you're like, did they not? Did they do that at midnight, like when the band was gone and like the janitor went in there and like added tambourine <laughs> to the song just because like he liked no, that's it? That's the best. You, you guys are the best. That's the that meanest just... thing I've ever heard both of you say on this show. I think I love it. It's so brutal. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean. Uh... <laughs> it's so good. What did you Don't say? you just feel like it was it was like somebody somebody isolated Linda McCartney's track on a wing stand? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> Wow. Too but, soon. Um, <laughs> no, it was harsh. Enough. Yeah. Now, I should point out that I want, I'm going to have to really backtrack on this. I said it was all Mr. X. Mr. X, I know, is a principal. I, I have also, although I haven't spoken to them, I've spoken to Mr. X and I know that they did a huge amount of work. I also know that both uh, were meant to do work and uh, and have, I believe, done a work on it. And that would make sense, right, because they were also in France working on uh, – uh, one of Ridley Scott's, uh, like the last Blade Runner. And I'm, I think I've got, uh, un, unsubstantiated, uh, opinions that Pixel Mondo and, mm -hmm. uh, Pixel Magic and Spin, um, in Toronto and Crafty Apes and a bunch of other companies, uh, may have also contributed. So I don't know who, who did this thing that we're upset about. <laughs> um, and, and nor do I really want to name and shame, but, um, but yeah, the, now leaving that aside for a second, uh, and also the, by the way, like not quite as bad, but in the same zone was having the vision look like it was a TV set that wasn't um, tuned properly. You know, when the breaking up was happening, when she first went Oh, in, yeah. Yeah. Was, yeah. was uh, it was just using a visual language that presumed... Well, it, it felt to me that it was a visual language from somebody that was clearly over the age of 55. Like Ridley Scott. If you were Scott. under the age of 55, <laughs> that wouldn't be the visual language you'd use. No, I don't think so because- That would thing, be like, over the age of 85, I yeah. think, right? <laughs> that's true. How? But, Pre-TV, um, yeah. I think the thing is, yeah, no, Ridley, it's not Ridley's show um, yeah, per se. It was just directing yeah. his webs yeah. and a producer. But anyway, my, my thing is that, um, yeah, that just seemed to me to be um, 
I do think that the cinematography and framing and blocking, which is obviously both coming from the cinematography and from the VFX teams, because they were clearly shots that are fully CG, yeah, is is really uh, tasteful, artful, mm-hmm. and effective. Yeah, there are like great. these stunningly graphic shots that don't look like you've just ripped off a graphic novel. Yeah, but yeah. if they were done in a graphic novel, you'd say that's a really good graphic novel. Um, yeah, like yeah I, great, my great favorite composition shots, and yeah. yeah, I like when when our our pre transfigured uh, hero, you know, imposters are running through the town uh, that's all destroyed, which was great production design. Wasn't that good work? Yeah, that was the one I was going to name actually is my good work the the Earth footage, the yeah. Earth destruction stuff. Given that they didn't spend a lot of the ep there. Somebody still loved those shots. But but then yeah. when they come across the like medic bot that's half on fire and it's like, help me, so I can help you. Yeah. you know, like whatever. And they do that. They see you see it from afar and then they put the camera right over its shoulder, like on, like right in its face when they come up to grab it. And you get like they're like, No, no, we're gonna we're not this isn't a far away VFX shot. Like we're gonna show it to you. They were putting the camera right on it. And it was just a really nice frame. There was there was a, a lovely amount of directing on that as well because there was kind of humor in yeah. that robot mm-hmm. with the like yes I'm you know it's like I'm fully functional I'm more than happy to do plastic surgery yeah you know? yeah I'm well so my sorry. face and he, looks he like says, I'm so sorry thank you yeah <laughs> yeah like his face is like a, a, a nightmare yeah and yeah it's like sure beauty work yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. he's my, like this might hurt name, so. yeah. <laughs> um, it's like yeah but even that set like when they were in that like kind of rundown you know, mm. uh, building, whatever it was like you, like you didn't at any point feel like, like, wow, what a, what a set. Like it felt like, like the age was, you know, the history was built into the production design. Like you could, you, you didn't question it. You're like, oh yeah, they're in a, you know, a burned out, you know, sort of decrepit building. And the makeup there too, that sort of wet plastinated bandaging yeah. that they yeah, utilize, yeah. Oh, that which you great. see again yeah. later inside of the the chest Marcus, of the android. And yeah. That yeah, stuff's Marcus, really cool. Played by Travis from uh from Vikings. By the way, yeah. shout out Vikings also won the Emmy today for oh, nice. the yeah. supporting visual effects. Yeah. Uh, and Mandalorian won the 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 main uh yep. yeah. you know, like hundred like primary visual effects mm-hmm. Emmy. But yeah, I, I do love Travis and I you know, I've got to say, as much as I loved Vikings, every episode of every season, it was the best when he was there doing exactly the same role, basically, that he's doing in this show. Yeah, that's fine. <laughs> Which, that's his thing. Yeah. That's his thing. And I'll I'll always go and see him doing it. Um, yeah. But um, anyway, yeah. His, that, that sequence with the plastic surgery was plausible tech and a lovely combination of, um, of stuff and a terrific reveal when they actually bump into the people that, oh, yeah. uh, that they... Yeah. That are... Yeah, just well handled. I love their haircuts um, too. Yeah, the mullet. <laughs> like we were watching that, we were like, "Does this mean that that mullets are coming back yeah. in? Are mullets so bad that now yeah. it's cool to have them? Is this going to seem to be the party in the mullets? back, even in the future?" <laughs> yeah, and the short, spiky hair of the uh, of mother, yeah. which really reminded me of like, uh, yeah, a, a similar '80s phenomenon. Yeah, and it's the, the costumes that the costumes yeah. that mother and father wear, the kind of like 
rubber, like mm-hmm. shiny rubber reflective suits are so, so strange. And, and it, it just has the oh, effect of making their bodies look so strange too. Can we? And also, go ahead. I was going to say, it's just such a terrific reference to the Roman mythology on being raised by wolves, though yeah. mm-hmm. I'm interested if there are two of them. But um, the idea of her being a wolf because she has the the multiple effectively nipples like right. a wolf would right, uh, right. to to feed the young, to bring them up when they're not her own and they're human, as opposed to, uh, I mean, in a show like this, they, they could have had her anatomically more human mm-hmm. and it would have been, you know, not unjustifiable, I guess. But but having those, those six points on her yeah. just was such a lovely, no one sort of needed to make a reference to it and it just brought the whole Roman... Uh, mythology and the name of the show in really nicely, I thought. Well, and perfect That's interesting segue too, to they what doubled. I was going to say, but go ahead, keep, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say they double down on the, the, where she tells the story of the three little pigs too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but I was going to anyway. say that's a perfect segue to what I was going to ask about the baby, the baby jars um, and, and the babies themselves, which seemingly look to me to be more, um, like prosthetic special effect animatronic babies than CG. Yes. But though, I, though another very clear Monty Python reference, where is the fetus going to just yeah. like, you know, stick it in a box? <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Uh, so uh, I, I was just wanted to bring that up because I really, I really liked that because you were like, oh, what are they doing? And then, and then they cut back to it and you're like, oh, they're pulling babies out of the like gel boxes, you know, like, it, it, I thought it was very well thought out. Again, plausible tech. Not that yeah. I know how you could yes. do that, but it seemed reasonable. Like when you're watching it, well, you weren't like that would be that would never work, you know. And on, on that same line, too, another really great visual effect, uh, which I think is both probably some digital and some practical, uh, was uh, the recurring uh, no eyes uh, thing mm-hmm. that she's got going on, but also when she's being reprogrammed uh, and he thinks uh, the the hacker dude thinks he's kind of arrived at a, a p- p- plausible scenario where maybe she's actually ready. Maybe I've done it. And he brings her the, um, the baby mm-hmm. and she's so excited. Oh, you brought me a baby. And then when he starts talking about that, it was, it's an atheist and blah, blah, blah. She, um, when she she breaks the neck, it's like one of the most horrifying things I've yeah. seen in a TV show in a long time. And then it's like it's an android, a robot. Its eyes go red, and they they toss it into the the little uh, bucket or whatever. And that was another one where it was like it was a cool uh, misdirection, but also um, a, a, an interesting combination of some, some uh, low tech, more uh, or more practical. Uh, potentially yeah. more practical effects. But you're also so, seeing her reaction in the as the current mother android horrified, so it like balances out her character that she's she's regretful of her past and and is abhorred by her or abhors yeah. her 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 previous actions which goes to like original sin and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. So can I just I mean be a bit it's self-serving here but I I think one of the things I found really interesting that I, in my own research away from the show here like one of the things that i'm fascinated with is what your treatment of an agent or a digital person says about you because father brings up this point like i am real i'm here kind of thing i'm real Mm -hmm. and 
I think we, as an audience, judge um, the behavior of characters to the androids. I don't think you can say if somebody treats an android really, really badly, that that doesn't reflect on them. Uh, but by the same token, you kind of expect there to be a rule of, well, it's okay to kill the android baby, but it's not okay to kill a human baby. Um, but at some point, uh, you know, like torturing an android baby would be an abhorrent thing to do as well, right? See what oh, I'm saying? Sure. Like it's not, yeah. It's not no, as I, simple as... I think I'll, I, what I was suggesting, I, I totally agree with that. I think what I'm suggesting though is that I think the, the interesting component from an effect standpoint in that moment was more that the the sort of misdirection and then the execution of sort of the both compositionally and technically sort of the, the shot composition and the way they executed that story moment was one that was highly effective in that it was no, super no, disturbing, absolutely. right? I think that's kind of but, what I'm suggesting, but I, I get your point that like, it's somehow less traumatic that it's, it, we do, we respond to it in a way maybe, or can respond to it in a way where the, that it's an Android baby. Like we're like, oh, well, it's just a robot. It's not sentient and yet, or whatever. When she kills father, I'm so upset. Yeah. I mean, obviously we, we go on to find out he's not dead, but, or he's re, sort of re, re, uh, engineered back to life. But, but father just seems like such a nice character. And I know he's an android, but I was like really, you know, upset to lose father when I thought we'd lost father. Um, and I didn't think nicely of mother that she'd done that to father, uh, even though you would argue in one sense, they're both machines and I should just be caring about the babies or the kids. Well, I think the really interesting thing that's happening, at least in my viewing of this and the way I'm reading it, maybe because, you know, I'm a parent and I live with my partner and, and uh, my kid. And so <laughs> I'm watching this and I'm listening to the robots argue about like their variant programming that mm -hmm. uh, is both inadequate, but I'm here to protect and provide versus mm -hmm. like, but you failed to do this. And like the, the dialogue and conversation is written in such a way as to be appropriate for the two types of androids that they are. But it's also yeah. so funny because it's functioning on this other level that's another commentary on the essence and nature of kind of um, child rearing and being parents, having uh, children. And then also the sort of traditional um, or, or non-traditional even, it could be, I suppose, gender roles that are assigned to both a mother and a father in that context. I mean, so there there is also this suggestion that I found really interesting of that we are also very Android-like in our programming in terms of how mm -hmm. we engage with our own uh, partners and our own offspring. So it's like there's this interesting mirror um, as a viewer. And that, that marvelous line really by compelling. Father when he says, I need to contribute, I need yeah. to be of value. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Um, in terms of visual effects, one area that wasn't disappointing in its execution, but but I felt like... I was surprised by its absence was the transitioning between the environments. So I was going to ask you guys about this. It's not a criticism mm. so much of the execution, but I felt like the environments felt so far apart and they didn't transition well between them. And I don't know if that's because they just didn't choose to do that. And if they had have done it, they could have done it better. But one day they're on complete sand dunes with Notha 
nothing in sight. When they're coming into the camp of uh, where the uh, the kids are, it almost looks like there are hills leading up into kind of more foresty areas. And certainly she flies into foresty areas. Yeah. And so there doesn't seem to be any logic to that. Like the, I don't, I don't have a believable regionality. World sense. Yeah. Yeah. Of the regionality and the distances between them. It feels mm-hmm. like the, the ship crashed over there and I have the glow of that. So it's not over the horizon. It's not like in Perth compared to Sydney or LA compared to London. So but it's also more the like ship it's is happened. massive, right? So when it yeah, crashes even, far away, like it's really far away because it's still pretty big when it crashes. But, but you, yeah, but think about the curvature of, the, of, of a planet. And this one is, uh, if I'm not mistaken, it's, what it's bigger than Earth, but in it goes around the sun in like 235 days. But it's not like it's kind of Earth-ish in dimensions, right? Like it's not crashing, you know, between. Uh, and I'm going to pick my states badly, but. LA and New Mexico, you know, right, it's yeah. not even LA to Nevada, right? right it's yeah. like, and so you've got to somehow believably have this entire desert, entire forest, entire sort of uh, very dry um, landscape and, and people are moving between these. And I right. feel like, does that make sense? It's just, yeah. it doesn't well, seem like they're, it's they're connected con- well. It's convenient, I suppose, storytelling yes. wise. So that's rather than, yeah. But it, it wouldn't work out so well in geography class. Yeah, as my, as my wife <laughs> said when we saw Lord of the Rings in the theater, man, they really walked a lot. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, yeah, because their legs were uh, so short. Yeah, I mean, you know, it takes a long time. Uh, I know I agree with you. I it did that didn't really jump out at me so much, but when you pointed out, yeah, it makes it makes sense. Uh, I, you know, they did they did a, in the first few episodes they do show a fair bit of the San Francisco style mist rolling over the mountains. Yeah, you know, which is mm-hmm. beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but those 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 mountains, as you call them, don't look like they're in a desert. No, and they don't look like they're butting up against the desert. Well, you it wouldn't looks get like where... that in a desert, right? Because it's all moisture. Yeah. So anyway, well, it and looks I know like you could Iceland. argue, yeah, yeah, <laughs> you could argue it's a different planet, and you know what right. does it matter? But but if you've got plausible gravity and plausible things yeah. like water, which they and clearly have on the air. planet, yeah, air, then you're going to have to assume that there's a transition between these um, environments, these yeah. regions, yeah. Uh, so yeah, that was that was a an interesting choice, I guess. Um, what did we actually think about? Because I thought I personally thought it was really good. But what did uh, like Matt? You think about when we saw the two crash sites? Because there were two crash sites: mm-hmm. the one that they were in, and then the one that they discovered uh, of the ark. Yeah. What did we think of those as uh, visual effects treatments? I thought they were really good. I mean, they're they're uh, the f- I I actually think the second one I think if memory serves as more compelling visually mm-hmm. to me, because we, we were more inside the craft. And I, if, if memory serves the first one, we, it's really, we're sort of outside and it feels more kind of 3d matte painting esque in a way. Yeah. Although I, I, you know, where we've got kind of big pieces of wreckage in the great distance and then kind of a smaller smattering of wreckage uh, in the, uh, the area where we're, we're holding the, the, the actors and having the scene. But I think the second one, they come across uh, another section of the ship and they go into it when they find uh, Buckethead um, in there. And I think that that, <laughs> uh, like the the sort of 
the broken down nature of it, the bodies, the way the ground, uh, you know, the the floor of the level of the ship is is sort of crooked and slanted, and there's it, it just felt like a, a richer um, visual environment, more cinematic in a way. But I think that those I I thought both of them were were um, they were well done. It was like an interesting place to go to. I sort of had the assumption that they just all died, you know, that no one lived because mm, um, that, you know, crazy, weird uh, kind of like light show <laughs> explosion that happens. Um, it seemed like it was pretty much the end, but then yeah, to have these uh, wreckage sites, I don't know. I, I mean, I thought they were well done. I think they're, uh, they were really interesting environments to go to and it just, it deepened the story. It brought in obviously the, uh, more characters and it raised the stakes uh, in the narrative in a way that um, was really interesting. And then the the discovery of that um, the mirror that collects diffuse yeah. light that so they that well, we should say, take yeah. that we could use that against the necromancer, you know. Or um, I think that's kind of an interesting. Uh, I'm not sure quite what that means exactly, but you could sort Can of imagine feel that... it's some kind of a, a weapon that could reflect or concentrate light somehow or energy. Yeah. Blah blah blah. Do we feel like that is a, a reference to like the power of the arc or something, you know, cause it d comes from the arc. So like, you know, in, in Raiders of Lost Ark, when they show the picture of the Ray coming out of the arc, you know, and the Jews Either have that you know, or, or there, there is a, was it the Archimedes, uh, mirror or something that there's a, there was a great episode of, um, uh, Secrets of the Dead, I think. If you ever seen that show on PBS, mm. it's like a where they sort of sort of archaeology. Akhenaten. And, and I don't know. I thought I it think, was like the Archimedes Ray, and it was like a a, I a think mirror. The visuals on that convex. Mirror. I think the visuals on the mirror are really nice. I mm -hmm. think it looks good or and plausible. Mirror. But I think from a script point of view, I felt it was less like the Ark of the Covenant trick and more like it was not plausible to me that anyone would live unless there was something that could be used against the necromancer. So you've got these incredibly, you know, I'm going to scream and your brain's going to explode <clears throat> androids. Mm -hmm. And so you would need some device. Otherwise, you know, she's just going to wipe them all out and there's never going to be a chance for anything. Yeah. But having said that, I nearly killed myself laughing when they had the uh, Monty Python guy leading into the cave. <laughs> yeah, with the mirror. <laughs> with the mirror at the front. And it was just like, you know. Yeah, run so away. I just have to say it's, yeah. Antioch. it's the Archimedes death ray. And it ah. uh, was, it was, it worked by focusing the sun's rays using a series of mirrors. Polished wow. and reflective mirrors were held by soldiers along the city walls. Their target were Roman ships. Right, um, and they evidence like focusing the sun's rays could create heat. Yeah, it set the ships yeah. into, in on fire. There's also uh, yeah. there's also a, a, a conspiracy ish book that I read years ago about um, I think it was Akhenaten or one of the pharaohs had a um, had some or it's theorized that he that he had some sort of like device that maybe it was similar to that, but it was some sort of device that could like lay waste to, um, you know, certain, you know, when used properly, similar to the Ark, but didn't need to be, or it wasn't a religious object. Um, I forget what they called it uh, in the book, but it reminded me of that too, like just because I'm just going on yeah. all the biblical hits in my head. But, um, but 
I did like also the leash android, uh, uh, which Hell was kind of yeah. cool. You know, the guy that's got to stay with you or your head the blows prison up. Guard. You know, yeah, yeah. It's like a <laughs> seems like a fairly expensive use of resources. Yeah, well, <laughs> for a criminal. Well, you would imagine that he would be tied to multiple people. Uh, Nevertheless, it's like if you've if you. Oh, you see one guy, multiple prisoners. Yeah, one leash. Yeah, yeah, one leash, okay. multiple prisoners. I would assume. I mean, to your, to 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 have an all, uh, opposing argument to your, to your um, cost basis analysis <laughs> for prison guards. Well, no, it's just that if you're at war, you're going to allocate resources where it matters, and it just seemed like whoever thought that was a good use of resources. Yeah. Um, but. But that being said, I, I that's also because I just totally believe that was a bit of exposition that's going to come in useful later. Well, yeah, they're going to just... obviously put the helmet on somebody and blow them up. You know what I mean? I mean, um, it seems reasonable. But yeah, but uh, that being said, um, we seem to be drifting off the visual effects discussion yeah, a yeah. little. Um, uh, <laughs> so, so incredibly good environment work. Um, the only other thing that I was going to ask an opinion on, I don't know I hated it, but I... It's a huge problem. You know, it's episode one when they are comically not panicked about getting out of the ship and uh, father is saying, oh, yeah. we must leave now. When mother goes over the, the ledge and she's pulling back up, now I have no problem that she has superhuman strength because she's an android, but it did feel like the physics of her getting up was I could almost see where they'd painted out the wires that lifted yeah, her up. Right. Not because it was visually clear like it was very clean mat work yeah very clean paint work the physicality but it just didn't, of it. I didn't, yeah. yeah the you didn't feel like the bicep was on her on her arm that was holding on was the thing that was causing a body to lift right it was now she's also got the power to fly so maybe she's using a bit of her own without turning it on fully flying power but she did seem <laughs> to float up um and at that point in the story i didn't know she could fly so it just felt a bit like wait a second She's, I can almost see, yeah. you know, see the hip-based lift. I find that a very difficult problem. I don't yeah, know I think it's, I mean, I think in terms of just wire work in any stunt like that where you're painting out the wire and making it, um, you know, function visual effects-wise in a seamless way, um, it doesn't necessarily um, function, uh, you know, physics uh, fashion correctly. Like there's yes. something else that has to happen that's either performative by the actor yep. in conjunction with the team operating the wire or um all, may also maybe in combination with the um the cinematographer like you know in terms of camera movement and really making to really sell it and make it work and make it look physically correct and editorially too right i mean it kind of has to be the right set of frames mm -hmm. the right motion the right moment and the right beats story-wise and compositionally, like it has to, if to really make that stuff work, I think is tricky. It's not easy to get uh, all those sort of moving parts to function well. Even I think if you uh, visit and storyboard it, you know, in terms of previs and storyboard, um, you know, to try to really make sure you're getting what you want on the day, you know, you put somebody in that harness and you try to get everything set up and balanced, depending upon what kind of rig you're using. It's like, and and the the comfort level of either the performer or the stunt person in it. You know, I mean, it's a it's a chore choreographed dance, really. Mm -hmm. um, and making it work, I, guess, I think, is really difficult. As I recall, the shot it's from the 
we see her back. Yeah. Her face mm-hmm. is away from us. So it could have been a digital double um, because, you know, obviously it's sure. easier if you don't see the face. Uh, but yeah, I think for me, it's this problem whereby I expect the center of gravity to still work. So if, you're, if yeah. I'm lifting by the arm, I expect the rest of the body to fall vertically and not to uh, effectively lean out from the mm-hmm. wall and come up at an angle because that just doesn't seem to be right. And 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 the energy displacement seems wrong. But um, the trick in that again, is editorially is when do you cut to the basically mm. ground level shot to see the person come over the edge? You know what I mean? Back yeah. towards you, that strain on their face and you know maybe they're standing on something and actually pulling themselves up two feet or something gives you just enough you know juxtaposed editing to trick you to go oh well i mean obviously they're not climbing right because there's so much so many things in movies now that are very obviously digital and whatever and that's fine because you have suspension of disbelief but if you can just sell it that one you know it's the indiana jones thing to go back to that you cut to him in the beginning when he grabs the thing and then pulls and the fucking vine breaks you know what i mean that's like you know yeah. and you see his face you're like okay he's about to fall even though you know he's not gonna fall and when he kicks the wall it's clearly made like of a curtain you know what i mean like at that point you see it kind of wobble based on on however they made it for real but it doesn't matter because you because you have that juxtaposed shot it's kind of the human the human equivalent like stunt human equivalent of uh like uh what we have often talked about on this show too like the impossible camera right how like it's so much more interesting when the camera feels like it's really grounded Mm -hmm. in a kind of believable physical reality that looks like oh this is like an operator you know like running this camera in under a set of physical laws right that seem to make sense and i think it's kind of the stunt equivalent of that almost where it's like you really want it to have those same uh elements of reality and weirdly it probably actually does because you're doing something that you can't really do for real but were you able to do it yeah like how do you make it look real given the fact that you're you really are doing something that is in many instances superhuman right yeah. But I think the other thing, I think your point about editing is really important because in good editing, you can hide that thing that I just didn't know I would have bumped on. And mm-hmm. I, the example I'll give is if you look at the outtakes of one of the Avenger films, I, can't, I think it's the first Avenger film, yeah, uh, Captain America has to put on a parachute and in the outtakes, he tries to put it on and it just can't do it quick enough. Like he just, it takes forever to try and get the straps on and do it. <laughs> Because anyone getting into a parachute, it takes a fair amount of time to yeah. move your shoulder back and whatever. In the actual edit, he miraculously puts it on in one second, but it's edited in such a way I never even noticed, right? It's mm-hmm. like he's starting to put it on, cut to somebody else, put it on, and he's just clipping the last bit up. When in the outtakes you see it, you go, well, there's no way anyone could put anything on that quickly. And it's not a superhuman thing. It's just a physical yeah, thing. Time. Similarly, if the editor had edited that just a little differently, I would never have even thought to, which brings me back to, well, then they were client, like, well, we want to show her being superhuman in strength because that'll be a good thing. So then I have to say, okay, well, then you're wanting me to see that she's superhuman. So right. I think you should do that more plausibly or differently. But the editor could have solved that because the editor, clearly in this show, knows what they're doing. Um, yeah. Because editors, go on. Yeah, no, go ahead. Finish what you were saying. 
I was going to say, editors are just so good at knowing when yeah. I do or don't need to see things. Uh, agreed. Uh, can I bring up the title sequence? Oh my god! Yeah. Yes, I really, I really like it. Like I, I like that it's. I like that it's. And this... the merge into the first shot of the show was spectacular. Yeah, yeah. Um, and the yeah. and the music uh, mm-hmm. choice, it's just so yeah. awesome. It's really. I love the the sort of hand drawn but not hand drawn nature of it. But it's also kind of like it has a kind of video like yeah. artifacty quality too. Like, but, yeah, that, but it's without so again without being that what Mike was saying before about without being like you know. Your grandpa's trap, TV, tra- yeah, trap yeah. code after effects, <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, but you know, I mean, there's a time, there's a time for that. A friend of mine is a CIT sure. was just on a shoot, and they wanted to use, um, they needed to do some. You know, they shot all on a bunch of stuff on film and whatever, and then they wanted to have this like found home video footage, right? So they shot it on this like iconoscope camera, which my friend had to have a laptop that ran Lion, you know, to offload it because the camera never got developed past a certain point. And they wanted to use it because it had, you know, 24P and took PL mount lenses, but had this weird resolution. And it's like, but if it's supposed to be a home video, you a PL lens would never be what you would choose, right? Like you'd be better off shooting it on your iPhone with a, with a VHS app, right? In yeah. 4K and having a real 4K file to use in your editorial with all your other 4K footage and make it feel like a video camera like that, then make it feel like, you know, some sort of, you know, shallow depth of field PL mount camera. You know what I mean? So it's, you know, yeah, interesting. Backwards I mean, I, I didn't see what I haven't, the video's not done. I don't know what they, what they ended yeah. up, how they treated the footage or whatever, and I'm sure it'll look great. But, you know, it's just interesting how how people try to solve problems. Uh, and uh, in this case, I, it's not a problem, it's a design choice, but I, I, I like, like I was saying, but, I, I just but, like what they were doing, the stylized yeah. thing, because it doesn't give you much. It's just a good, it's stylized and is it, it evokes an emotion and a feel, but it's there's not a lot of story points in it in terms of the, the feel of it the visuals are you have nuclear explosions and you know things like that that are clearly telling you there's a problem um but also i just feel like tonally um it's not something i've seen before like it just doesn't look yeah like we've been there so yeah and there's aspects of it too that look like uh like um you know footage of like a reproduction, you know, kind mm-hmm. of like the trajectory and the vector yeah, yeah. of the ship yeah. and moving towards the sphere and with <laughs> yeah. with these lovely overlays of like uh, sort of Flash Gordon. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Hey, um, I think we're kind of out of time for the show, so it's been fun chatting. I certainly hope we get to uh, talk about Tenant very soon. Me too. But if not, there's there is now starting to be a lot of films. Uh, perilously close to being released, not least of which is uh, James Bond, which has been one of these films on ice for a while. Um, I know that uh, some of the Marvel films have been pushed back. Uh, Black Widow, I believe, has been pushed back now, um, and partly on the basis of what's been able or not able to be pulled off with uh, Tenant. But um, uh, we might need four hours to talk about Tenant because, like, quite frankly, just getting to a point that we can agree on the 
words of <laughs> what we're discussing will be hard enough. Not 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 saying any spoilers. I'm just saying like it's uh, yeah. If if this film is if this show is complicated and I believe it is, uh, it really felt to me like a uh, an instruction manual compared to Tenant. Um, <laughs> any last uh, words, Matt, on uh, on the show? And if not, uh, where can people find you? Uh, I mean, just last words on the show. I'm super excited to see where this goes. I hope uh, that the writers' room and the uh, the producers and creators are able to pull this one together in some way that um, reaches a, hopefully a a satisfying uh, season one ender or a or a, a series ender. I don't know if it's going to have a second season or what, but um, fingers crossed. Anyway, I've definitely been enjoying it. Um, I'm back at VCU uh, where. Uh, doing most of our classes remotely, but I do have one uh, filmmaking class where we meet uh, once or twice uh, in person um, outside, which is kind of fun um, <laughs> and socially distanced, as they say. Um, but yeah, so I'm I'm always uh, uh, at VCU uh, causing trouble. And uh, Jason, uh, I will agree with Matt's final thoughts, uh, or I'll say mid-season thoughts on the uh, fifth of 10 episodes of the show. And uh, I am uh, also always here in Queens, New York, as I have not been on a plane since February, which is very odd for me. <laughs> uh, I'm normally on several planes a month uh, doing various things. And so it's been nice to be home in certain in a certain sense. Uh, and... Uh, and we just we just did a very large production for Sesame Street. I think uh, like oh, in cool. mid August we did so a envious. we did a six day all exterior um, production in upstate New York on an on an orchard slash farm. Uh, so we were all we were similar, Matt. We were working outside, which is mm -hmm. like interesting, like manual labor on a farm for six days. You know, in a, on a production kind of felt good. Everyone got their farmer's tan you know, kicked in <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was challenging, but rewarding to bring, you know, 45 people together to do a SAG DGA production, you know, in the middle of COVID. And, uh, you know, we got a gold star seal of approval from our SAG rep that came in, uh, visited and, and, uh, you know, Sesame is really happy and, and we were, uh, you know, pleased to do it. And we learned a lot, uh, that's great. Um, I think it's really um, hard to do right now. It's hard to, to run a, a set. I think it's challenging. It was so it was challenging, but I issues feel out like, there. Yeah. I feel like we put not to pat ourselves on the back, but you know, we put the time in and you know, we it cost more money. I won't obviously say mm -hmm. the budget, but it certainly had a it was a noticeable difference in the budget to make sure that everyone was tested appropriately. You know, everyone was quarantined in motels, not hotels, which, you know, everyone, you know, it's not the f most fun thing to be in a two story, no lobby, you know, motel. But <laughs> at the same time, like it's the safest thing for everybody. Uh, just again, it's all protocol. Is the risk yeah. high? Not really, but it's protocol because we want to be safe. And without protocol, there's no guarantee yeah. of safety. So, well, and so everybody we, wants to get back to work yeah, too. So yeah. it's like, and yeah, I think that's so, great. You know, testing protocols, you know, before our scouts, before our shoots, during the shoot, all that kind of stuff. And, you know, onset health and safety and all those things. And, and everyone 
had a great time, felt safe, did, everyone did good work. And, uh, and it's always fun to work with the Sesame people and being around the puppets. Uh, yeah. And the puppeteers. Oh, absolutely. And the puppeteers. Yeah. So, so, so we do have to go. Uh, obviously, I'm on uh, FX Guide. And, uh, and by the way, the other show I didn't mention that we absolutely were going to do a, a review of is when um, Mando drops for the second oh, series yeah. at the end of October. So that'll be huge. And the trailer's out for that if you haven't seen it, which I'm sure you have if you're listening to this show. So thank you so much, guys, for listening. And I'll just leave you with the thought that when Ortho finally gets the head rig off, if he doesn't say, what's the airspeed velocity of an unsaddled <laughs> swallow, I'm going to be disappointed. African or European. Until next time, guys. <laughs> See you guys next time. Thanks so much. Bye. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at vfx at fxguide.com. Copyright FX Guide, LLC.